You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Mason Dixon, joined by Corey the Bayou Benders, and we have a very special episode of Habs Nightly for you guys today. We are joined once again by our favorite guest that we've had, and we're happy to have him back, Sebastian High, the director of North American Scouting at Dauber Prospects. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on again. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, we we loved having you on last time. I think we we went on and on and on for like an hour and a half last time. We had a really good conversation leading up to the draft um, where, you know, you broke the news about Lane Hudson and holy shit, you were <laughs> so right in that regard. Love that guy. <laughs> yeah, awesome. uh, we've grown to love him, I think, almost as much as you do. So, no, it's great to have you back. Um, happy to have your your expertise here because you know I try I try to talk about the draft as much as I can, but I just do not possess the knowledge you do. So it's great to have you here. Um, before we get like into uh, any of the prospect talk, though, you know it's been what I want to say close to a year since you've been on the show. I think so. Things are new with you. I know you've started a podcast. Do you want to talk about that or what you're doing with Dauber? Well, the podcast has actually been going on for like. A year and a half at this point. I think, um, I think it was fairly new when we just started, right? Uh, it was Our a last... year old. It was, it was a year old by uh, when when we were uh, last last uh, talking. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Then totally. No, totally no, it's, all, it's, all, then. it's all good. We, we only joined like THPN pretty recently, right? So so we were like fully yeah. independent before then. Um, yeah. So so that 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 that's just a fun little like side thing that I have going with with, with some good friends and uh, yeah, it's just just an opportunity to to talk about hockey with with no real restrictions and I can just ramble on about prospects, which is just a ton of fun. Um, and and yeah, and then at, at Dauber, I mean, since we we last spoke, like, like at that point, I was um like going to be the, the OHL scout for Dauber going into the season. And then in December, uh, I, I got offered a promotion to director of North American scouting because our previous director uh, stepped down for personal re- reasons. Um, and they offered it to me. So I've been doing a lot of like the administrative stuff to kind of just make, make it my own. Um, and yeah, so it was a lot of like a lot of my Christmas break was was spent doing those things, including like getting on some new scouts because we were lacking some European scouts and wanted to to fill that gap a little bit. But yeah, it's been it's been very busy, but a, a ton of fun. And uh, and yeah, it's 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 definitely a fun draft class to to be scouting. Like it's it's uh, there's quite a few players where whenever I have one of their games lined up, I just I'm happy because I want to watch them play. And uh, there's far more of those this year than last year, where it's just watching them play just brings me joy. Uh, like last year, obviously, Lane Hudson and Frank Nazer and Brad Lambert were some, some of my favorites. But 
yeah, this 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 draft class has a ton of skill and a lot of players that are right up my alley of high motor, high skill, high intelligence, but small. Um, and yeah. Uh, and and yeah, so we're, we're going to see a lot of players that I really don't think are should drop that will drop. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of them today, including Andrew Crystal, who um, is definitely a top six guy in my mind, but in, in reality is more likely to fall in that like 17 to 28 range. Um, so yeah, it, that, that, that's a definite possibility with the Florida pick, but, but no, as a whole, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, it's just, it's been, it's been hectic, but, but very fun. No, that's good to hear. Awesome. And, uh, just kind of, you know, to piggyback off what you're saying with Andrew Crystal, you know, that's a player who you believe is a top six talent. As, you know, the director of North American Scouting at Dauber, when you're scouting these guys, do you kind of have to balance, you know, I think he's this good, but also kind of understanding that the NHL, you know, they're still kind of dinosaurs. They're probably going to draft him later. Like, like, how do you kind of balance that act where you're saying, I know this guy is this talented. I'm one, I'm going to rank him here, but knowing, you know, pretty, you know, fairly certainly that he's probably going to be drafted way later. Like, how do you kind of deal with that? I mean, I think as a whole, um, I, I try to, to not be too influenced by, by consensus, which I think, I think a bigger difficulty is, is not like trying to be influenced by NHL consensus and like the Bob McKenzie rankings but rather being influenced by public consensus. I think that that's one because all the other scouts I talk to are other public scouts who hmm. as a whole, like in general, public scouts uh, value smaller players a lot more. Um, they value things like skill and intelligence over size and grit. And I think that's the consensus where I have to more actively like try to not fall into with certain players uh, but at the same time, like, like my top six that I, I think has really separated itself from the class is basically the same top six for a ton of public scouts. It's also the top six that we had for the Dauber midterm rankings, right? So it, there is there is some level of consensus there, uh, even though one of those guys that that is firmly entrenched in there, Crystal, is most certainly not an entrenched top six guy among NHL scouts. The other top five are. Like the other top five are like the Bob McKenzie top, top five as well. So uh, there is also some, I guess, agreement uh, with NHL scouts, but, but no, like, like I don't, I, I don't think like that. I, I, I devalue players just because I, I know they're going to go lower. Right. Like, like I ranked Lane Hudson 11th overall last year, knowing that he would most definitely not go top 11. And because I think, like, in, in my view, like, scouting is all about, like, like, the scouting community, too, is all about discourse and, 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 and trying to, like, 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 talk about difference, like, differences in opinions on players, right? So if you're echoing full consensus, whether it be NHL consensus or public scouting con- consensus, I don't, I don't think you're really bringing all that much to the table in that sense, because you're not adding anything to the conversation. And in the end, scouting is just a conversation to be had about players. And yeah, so it's always fun to talk about players where there are disagreements, right? So there, there are certain players that even on our Dauber board are way lower than I personally have them. So one guy that we might also get to today is Jaden Perron. I have him ranked seventh overall. He's 
my top guy outside of the entrenched top six. Uh, our our USHL scout is far hmm. lower on him, and on our Dauber midterm board, he was twenty fourth overall. So there are players internally as well at Dauber where there are those stronger disagreements, and that that's where you kind of have those longer and more interesting conversations too. Like uh, during our our ranking meetings, we're not exactly talking about Connor Bedard for for ten minutes because like we're we're, we're <laughs> We can we can agree that he's probably the best player in this draft class, and, <laughs> and it's like okay, guys. Uh, so Bedard at one, who's next, right? And then we actually had a very long conversation um, for for uh, two, three, and four, like like three and four. Uh, we were talking about that for a solid ten to fifteen minutes, and that was all between Mitchkov and Carlson, and uh, and in the end. I think I, I swayed us to to go um, with Mitch Cobb at three. At this point, like the really funny thing with my top six is I have Bedard at one, Fantelia two, and those are pretty entrenched. Like I don't I don't think that's going to change between now and the end of the season. Then I have three six, uh, and those four players um, you can put their names in a blender and whatever way they come out between three, four, five, and six. Uh, looks pretty good to me like uh those 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 four guys are all incredible for their own reasons uh and that's zach benson leo carlson matt bay mitchcup and andrew crystal which is currently my order uh at three four five and six so i have benson at three which is i think i might be one of the only people who have that um but if you try to convince me to draft carlson at three or mitchcup at three or crystal at three all of those i'm like yeah cool 100 like I, i'm down so uh, that is that is like the tightest tier for me this year. And honestly, the same thing could be said with my next tier, which is seven to twelve. Uh, and those those six guys, um, again, you could convince me to take the guy I have twelfth at seven if my top six are off the board, which they wouldn't be because Crystal won't won't, won't go top six. But yeah, it's it's fun because like it's it's also a thing of on a lot of like public rankings a lot of people focus on the numbers and 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 like oh this like scouting or this scout or this like scouting organization or whatever uh, has this player ranked seventh overall and the other one has them 12th oh no there's so much disagreement and in reality but what what is often the case is there will be discussions about guys that you rank at like 19 at eighth overall right so it's a lot it's a lot closer than than a lot of people think and and that's where you get like really interesting conversations when there is a lot of contention on who do we have ahead here but it really is splitting hairs for a lot of people right so uh i, I think that that that's a really fun part of our ranking meetings is because you, you get everyone that kind of backs their guys uh while also being aware that uh there's a lot of very very reasonable picks at that slot no, like, I think that sounds very reasonable to me. Well, I find it interesting you say, oh, there's a range, right? And what I loved about your midterm ranking, like, I'm going to try to pull it up here because I looked at it uh, yesterday before we had this conversation. You put a range too, don't you? Oh, yeah. Tier, but, tiers, my tiers and, and the range, like, ranges are really just kind of indicative of, of my, my colored tiers, Um but but yeah, that that to me is more valuable than than the actual number that is that, that corresponds to players because it, it 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 says a lot more. So with certain players, like you're gonna see like a like like small ranges where it's like oh, I don't know, seven to ten for Jaden Perron, and you clash that with 
16 to 32 for Will Whitelaw, where it's like, oh, that is a wide range. And and yeah, like well, I and could, the one you- I thought was really interesting was you have Edward Chalet at 12, and you have Will Smith or in, or sorry, Ryan Leonard above him, 10 to 12, but Edward Chalet is eight to twelve. So I thought that was really interesting too, how you've you have a preference, but you're saying Chalet. Like, is that saying that, oh, he has the skill, he might rise? Or what is that? Yeah, kind of like Char- Charlie is, is, is a really weird case where um, I don't know if a single public scout or scout in general has actually pinned him down yet. Uh, <laughs> he is a really tough nut to crack where it's like the skill, the intelligence, the finishing ability, it's all there. The off-clock movement in the offensive zone is so impressive. And the involvement is god awful, and 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 there's yeah. so much inconsistency there. Where it's like, oh yeah, I like th- there's a legitimate chance that he's among the seven best players to come out of this draft class. There's also a legitimate chance where he becomes like a a a bottom six skilled guy who can chip in sometimes with with some points, but just can't crack it in a top six. So it's kind of more that like safety versus big swing. Uh, my, 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 my rankings, my, my rankings have also like evolved a little bit since, since then. So at this point I have Ryan Leonard at 11 and Edward Charlet at 14. Uh, Leonard is also a tier above. So at this point, Leonard's range for me is eight to 12 and Charlet is at 13 to 18. So there has been a bit of a separation there for me since I released my rankings um and that's mainly down to ryan leonard being really really good at hockey uh and and edward charlie <laughs> being frustrating no that's you know totally understandable thank you for uh clarifying that but you know just to kind of get get on to you know maybe some habs kind of focused talk here uh we were talking about your top six now realistically i think today if the nhl season finished the house would be drafting six sixth overall i think yeah. you know We've kind of discussed beforehand too. Look, I'm all for the Connor Bedard pipe dream. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think this team is bad enough. I think the Pacific Division is so poor. You have teams like Chicago who are blatantly yeah. tanking. It's not going to happen. And, you know, number we're numbers guys here too, right? We won the first overall pick last year. The odds that we do it pull in Edmonton Oilers and get like two or th- like one or two more first overall picks, very low. However, there are some very, very good players who you spoke about. Uh, everyone knows about Adam Fantilli. You've said, you know, you've locked him in it too. I think I totally agree. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think anyone that has watched him play, not only in the World Juniors, but for the University of Michigan would agree he is on another planet. If it wasn't for Bedard, you know, that's a first overall pick. <clears throat> Easy. But Zach Benson, Leo Carlson, Andrew Crystal. Uh, Mavi Mishkov, all in that kind of tier, all guys that I think, and maybe you could shed some light, would be great, great, great additions to the Habs. Um, I kind of, you know, we spoke earlier, uh, you did a little profile on them. I want to start with Mishkov, though, because I'm sure that you know better than anyone, a very divisive player. Because for, I would say, a good two years before this draft, we were told that this was the Bedard and Mishkov draft. These yeah. guys were interchangeable at times for some people. Mishkov was this insane, you know, Alexander Ovechkin-esque prodigy coming out of Russia. 
And then things kind of took a dip. And I want to know if you can maybe shed some light on that. Why are we seeing him sort of fall here? I think it's a thing of, 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 of people really getting caught up with draft rankings and stuff way like two three years before they're actually getting drafted it was the same thing last draft right like like it was it was supposed to be the shane wright matthew savoy brad lambert draft and then in the end wright went fourth savoy went what 11th 9th 10th in that range and 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 lambert went 30th right so things change things evolve um matt bay mitchkov is a an elite player who um, on look and anyone that I have in that my entrenched top six, I would have easily picked first overall last year, like without too much hesitation. Like all those guys, I would have picked ahead of Shane Wright. Um, and Shane Wright was all alone in his tier, in his tier at one, and that may have changed since then. If I were to do like a, a re ranking, it may be like a a a bigger tier at like like for the like my my, my top tier of like maybe Shane Wright with year check with Cooley with uh Frank Nazer but at the same time all these six players I I, I pick ahead of them and yeah so 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 Mitchkov is a tremendously skilled and intelligent offensive weapon he can create offense like few other draft eligibles have been able to in the past five years um his shot uh it's so funny to me he does not have the best shot in the draft class and that is kind of hilarious because he is the best raw shooter that we've seen he's probably a better raw shooter than than even cole caulfield was in his draft year like like but bedard's shot is just so so elite <laughs> that it's like oh okay mitch Kov doesn't have the best shot in the draft class but in any other class he would um uh, just a he gets tremendous power on a shot his, his shooting mechanics are are almost perfect uh he he can really like like pinpoint accuracy on all the all the shots he's well over half a point a game in the khl on, a, on an awful 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 khl team right now uh he's finally getting like top six minutes uh, and uh, in the KHL against men, a weaker division of the KHL, it should be said, it's not the strongest uh, in terms of competition. However, he had a goal and assist yesterday uh, or the day before. And uh, yeah, he, he, he's doing very, very well. Uh, like him switching to, to Sochi, I think was really important for him just to get the ice time, the consistency. Before he made that switch, it wasn't even a thing of like, oh, he wasn't getting minutes. It was he'd sit out for weeks and we wouldn't know why. And, hmm. and we wouldn't know if it's an injury or if he's getting benched. And then he'd go to the MHL, play one game, score five goals, play <laughs> one KHL game, play two minutes, and then we'd not see him for another three weeks. So I think the really important thing for him right now is just getting, is getting minutes, yes, but also just that consistency. And, uh, and it's been great for him. Uh, the, again, the shot is tremendous, but the handling skill is is also elite he flashes some really really impressive playmaking i know a lot of scouts uh, are, are saying that his playmaking is like almost on par with his goal scoring that's not something that i've personally seen just yet but i'm also not a russia scout i am I'm, I'm focusing mainly on well 
officially I'm focusing mainly on North America. In practice, mm-hmm. I'm focusing on everyone, uh, which also means that I can't get as many viewings of everyone as other scouts can who do focus on regions. However, uh, I, I, I do like his playmaking quite a bit. I think it's, it's well, well, well above average. I just don't think it's quite elite just yet. Uh, but what he does so well is his, like, his, his off puck movement in the offensive zone, fine soft eyes to, to draw out defenders. It's, it's, it's one of the best in the draft class. And um, yeah, the big, the big issue with him, uh, he, I would say he has two. One is a complete lack of defensive involvement. Um, it's been a bit better since he went to Sochi, but it's, he's, He's verging on not just a non-factor defensively, but like a negative factor defensively, where like he'll put in enough involvement to convince his teammates that he's covering a guy, but then he doesn't actually cover the guy. And then it just opens up a, a gaping hole in the defense, which is not ideal. Um, however, that's something that, that can be worked on. And honestly, I don't mind that he that he's stuck in in, in Russia for another three seasons uh, with his contract because I don't think he'd be NHL ready any time before then anyways and it'll give him time to really work on those professional habits so I'm, I'm not overly concerned about about that again he doesn't need to be a good defensive piece it's Matt by mishkov he's not going to be a shutdown mark stone type of winger but uh just needs to not hurt his team in his own zone uh but the offensive tenacity has also improved so there, there, there are flashes of progression there which which are actually quite encouraging um but yeah, the other thing is I, I'd love to see him improve his speed. Uh, that, that, that's one thing that just isn't a separating skill just yet. Uh, the skating as a whole, he has some good edge work agility. Um, but in order to become a more dominant puck carrier, uh, especially at his size, and I think that, that's, that's one thing I found pretty funny, is that we've been talking about size for so many players in this draft class, but not Mitchkov or Bedard. Uh, they, they seem untouchable to the size debate, which I find hilarious uh, because we see that debate come up for every single small player ever, uh, even happened with Cole Caulfield. But uh, but yeah, like I think Mitchkov does need to improve his skating to to kind of be more consistent, more, to, be, to be able to more consistently evade pressure, get out of, of physical situations and... Also, just like adding that separating speed gear would would really really improve his game in transition. Uh, so that would be my like if I were like his development coach, uh, those would be the things that I would be pinpointing at least for now uh, in his game to improve. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I love that you bring up the size uh, comparison too because if I'm not mistaken, Andrew Crystal is what five ten as well. Yet with him, uh, yeah, awesome. also five ten, but but he's but he's a full five pounds lighter, so ooh, makes all the difference in the world. That is <laughs> true. Um, I just yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, but with a player like Mishkov, like you know, you're talking about you know a lack of kind of defensive side, but yeah, obviously, if he's gonna be an offensive superstar, or maybe not superstar star player, defense isn't as important. But when you say you know, he's not NHL ready. Is that because he needs to work on those defensive responsibilities? Is that, you know, the big factor that you see? He, he's um, still quite raw. I, like, I, I think it's, a, it's the same thing with like Cole Caulfield when he was drafted, where it was like, oh yeah, this guy is ridiculously good at hockey, but there's a lot of things that he has to still iron out, right? So 
yes, defensive game definitely plays a role in that, but it's also about working on processing speed and um and and I think the biggest thing is just playing under physical pressure. That is for me the number one thing that I look at, especially for smaller players who can be physically overwhelmed, is how do you play under intense physical pressure? Like especially when it's like multiple opponents rushing at you that are way bigger than you that are applying pressure. How do you solve that problem, right? How quickly do you process it? How do you uh, find solutions? Are you pre-scanning in order to, to have outlets already set up uh, before the pressure even arrives? Uh, and that, that that's the thing with, with Mitchkov where he's very good at it. And, and so I'm not overly concerned about his size. However, it's something that he has to continuously improve in order to, to, to not, not just like tread water in terms of phys- like physicality, but like, like, like excel under physical pressure, which is something that like Lane Hudson does. Like Lane Hudson loves it when big guys start like rushing at him because he could, he's evasive and he's, he processes the game so quickly. He just gets around them. Like it's nothing. And, and it's one of the reasons that I was so high on him was because, Oh yeah, he's small, but he doesn't just like, like get around physical pressure. He wants it. He, he needs it in order to exploit defensive structures which is something I just love to see. So with, with Mitchkov, that, that, that's also a thing. But Mitchkov also has a bit of a nasty streak in him. Like, like he gets physically involved, even in the KHL at some points. It's, it's mainly flashes at this point rather than like a consistent physicality. But like there are times where he will like reverse hit and like actually like knock over an opponent who's like six foot two. So huh. like he, he, he's, he's very sturdy. Like he's, he's not like a, a lanky below a 5'10 kid. Uh, he's also one of the older players in, in the draft class. Well, he's a, he's a December 04. Um, and, and he's, he's pretty stocky. Uh, he, he, like, and if he adds another like 15 pounds by the time he's in, he makes the NHL, he'll be at like what? 197 or what was there? Yeah. 187. And then like, if you're like around that 190 at 5'10, like you're, you're, you're pretty solid. And then if he can add more weight, that'd be, cool but at some point you also have to think that more weight will impact agility and evasiveness and all that but but yeah i think ideally mishka will end up around that 190 um and and he'd be really stocky but yeah he i i i, I like mishkov a lot I, I made a video analysis i'm going to make a video analysis thread on him in the upcoming days um which should really delve into his game um, and, and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to making that one for sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You talk about that nastiness streak because we see that in, um, not to compare the players, but in Bedard too, right. Ultra talented, but I've seen a couple videos of him throwing nasty reverse hits and just blowing guys up. So that's awesome to see. Um, before we move on to just another player, if you had to, you know, project what you realistically think Mishkov will be, cause I know he, there's a lot of people that say, at least that I've seen in my and limited conversations I've had that say Mishkov is a very, very high ceiling, but they're worried about the floor. So yeah. What, what do you kind of project with him? What do you think realistically, if you were a betting man, what would you bet on Mishkov being in the NHL? I think he has a higher ceiling than Cole Caulfield. Um, he, he, He's a tough, he's a tough like one to, to find out like, like with an NHL comparable, but I think Coppola is the closest one I've gotten to. He reminds me a lot of like a D plus one or maybe even D plus two Cole Caulfield, where it's like 
yeah, it's Cole Caulfield, but like with another year under his belt with more refined habits, um, still some issues with like, like, like physical pressure and stuff, but uh, that combination of, of uh, like genuinely elite shooting talent with that high end handling skill uh, and, and with like flashes of really interesting playmaking, <clears throat> what Caulfield did really have in college, it hasn't, he hasn't been using it too much in the NHL just yet, um, which I think is also partly due to his role in the Habs, which has been just to be a trigger man. Uh, but I think if you were to put him on a line with a guy that can shoot just as well as he can, so for instance, if you were to put him on put him on a line with Mitchkov, I think those two would complement each other very nicely because they are quite similar archetypes of players, and they can also like create plays and 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 pass to each other. Uh, but yeah, I think like Murray St. Louis, I think would would absolutely adore having a line where you have Mitch Cobb on the right wing and and Caulfield on on the left wing because both would be on their off wings and could fire off one timers and you put a center like Kirby Doc between them who can find them with passes perfectly. That'd be a fun top line. That'd be a really fun top line. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I think I think Caulfield's still the best comparable I've found. Um, but but yeah, I. I Yes, like floor again is, 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 is it's always a concern, but but I I mean Mishkov is going to be an NHL player. He's he's going to be a top six NHL player. Uh, so it's like oh the floor is is low, but the f- floor being low is going to be a thirty goal, fifty five point sniper on the second line and fourth power play unit. So it's like if you're picking that like fifth six overall, hell yeah, like that's fine. That 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 is a that is a a, a healthy floor. That is a really that's healthy a floor. To me. So. Yeah. Again, like, like, again, all these players are guys that I'd, I'd have picked over Shane Wright. Like, they're all really, really damn good at hockey. No, and of course, you know, it, it would be the Habs' luck to get the uh, first overall pick a year before this draft. But yes, of course. Of course. Um, you know, we have a couple more guys I want to talk about. And since I just, I get the feeling you have a soft spot for this guy, do you want to talk about Andrew Crystal? Yeah, I, I I love Crystal. Um, he he ended up sixth on my on my board for my rankings, um, which was lower than I had had him for a while. Um, but that's that's not an indictment to his game. It's literally just like I was like, if I were to have to choose between Mitch Cobb and Crystal, I'd probably go Mitch Cobb, right? Where it's like, it's like I don't know. It, it, it's it's really tough. Uh, Crystal is okay. When I say these things. It's always not counting Bedard because he's on a different planet. Uh, Crystal is the best playmaker in the draft class, <clears throat> not including Bedard because it's Bedard and he's <laughs> nuts. Um, he, he, he's the best playmaker in the entire draft class apart from him. And he can create plays um, that are just genuinely so impressive. Uh, he, the, a big thing with him is a lot of people are calling him, oh, he's not a great skater, but he's so agile and fluid on his feet. What he lacks is, is that really good top gear. Like he, he needs to work on his power skating even more than Mitchkov does. You say that's um, similar to kind of what we see with Lane Hudson, a criticism I've seen. Yeah. Very shifty, but lacks sure. kind of speed. For sure. I think, I think I, I say that Crystal's skating is better than, than Hudson's already. Um, like Hudson, another big thing with him was just like, it's just awful pivots, which, which have improved a bit um, over the past year. But, uh, but like there were more like mechanical issues there. 
Whereas with, with Crystal, I quite like his, his, his agility and mechanics. And like, Hudson's like weirdly choppy, but it's in a really like deceptive way that he like weaponizes his choppiness. So whereas with Crystal, he's really fluid and 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 so agile. Um and yeah, again, like like the playmaking ability is is is, is genuinely just so so impressive. And um like I'm not just talking about passing ability, it's that how he creates plays. He draws out defenders, he creates lanes, he uses angle shifts uh to 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 access passing lanes that he that he otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, and and he has a really good shot as well. Like he's a, a true dual threat, uh, where he can he can score a time. I mean, his his stats in the WHL this season are ridiculous, as are Zach Benson's. Like Benson and Crystal are like like they would be not sure breaking WHL records, but pretty close to it if it weren't for Connor Bedard this season. Like both these guys are lighting up the best CHL league like it's nothing. Uh Andrew Crystal is up to 26 goals and 62 points in 36 WHL games this season um, on a pretty damn bad team. Like, like okay, they're, they're not awful, awful, but that's mainly because of him and Caden Bryce. Uh, like, the Kelowna Rockets just aren't very good uh, this, this season, but he's putting up almost two points a game with them, which is absurd. Uh, he's, he's on pace uh, – for 93 points in 54 games. And again, the WHL is, is by quite a ways the best CHL league. Uh, and then you go to Zach Benson, who has 28 goals and 74 points in 47 games this season, which is also out of this world. Uh, Not. Albeit on a stronger team, for sure. Like Winnipeg's way better than Kelowna is. But uh, but yeah, like like Crystal, like I I, I really do, do really appreciate um He's also a great scanner. He's so intelligent in the offensive zone. Um, he, he might have maybe the start, like, like the fastest processing speed of any player in the draft class, maybe even including Bedard. Maybe that's a big maybe, but it, it, I could have a conversation about that. Uh, he, he solves problems so like with, with, with tremendous ease. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he, he's a lot of fun and, especially because he's going to be available well past the top 10, uh, which I think is like absurd um, because whenever I watch him, I'm like, this guy is ridiculous. And I think he projects really nicely to the NHL, but for some reason with him, size is a big debate. And like, people are like, Oh, he's too small. Same thing with Benson. They're like, Oh, he's small. And it's like, yeah, but he's really damn good at hockey. Like, I'm sorry, but, but him being small, isn't going to stop him. Uh, and at every level for both Benson and Crystal, it's been like, oh, he's too small, uh, can't won't can't translate. And then they play in the WHL and they're lighting the league up. And it's like, oh, the next level is where he's gonna catch on and 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 won't won't be able to quite do this. And I I'm just quite skeptical of that that way of thinking because both of these players excel under physical pressure. And it's like, okay, but but why do you think that a small player can't succeed here? Right? Like let's delve into this conversation. And yeah, it's like, oh, well, he'll get hit, he'll get, get rattled, or he, he won't be able to snuff it when, when he's being rushed at by, by three different six foot three guys. And it's like, he's, he's already doing that. Like the WHL has some pretty big boy defensemen and uh, Bristol and Benson uh, are continuously embarrassing them on the ice. So I, I, I don't quite buy those arguments, especially when these guys are five foot 10, like, if we're talking about like a five foot seven player who's like 140 pounds, like at that point there, I think there's more of a conversation to be had about like size being a bigger issue. 
but but these guys are five foot ten. Like, come on. If, if they're six feet tall, they'd be considered oh, average to large. Like, are two inches really like in height? Does that make all the difference in the world? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, but but yeah, Crystal's a ton of fun to watch. I I I I, I love this player and. If the Habs want pure skill as from the left wing, and I mean, the Habs system doesn't exactly have too many great left wingers. Like, it's really just, it's it's Sean Farrell, and that's about it. And, and, and Slavkowski, sorry, yeah. Uh, Slavkowski Slav- and Farrell. But- Slav does seem to get, sorry to cut you off. It's just, I think it's funny you, it happens, because it happens when Corey and I talk about Habs prospects all the time. I feel like as Habs fans, we almost forget that Slav is 18 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sure. crazy. It's crazy that he like it's it's it's, it's so weird to me because a lot of people seem to be passing judgment on him immediately. <clears throat> like people forget guys like like look, Jack Hughes did not have a good rookie season at eighteen no. either, and now he's one of the best players in the league. Like I'm not saying that like Sapak is not going to be Jack Hughes, obviously, like not even close. But this is an eighteen year old kid who. I don't think should have been playing in the NHL this season. Like, like AHL was a place to be for Sofkowski this season. I, I, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, I, I yeah, I'm still I'm skeptical of the decision that was made there, uh, and that they didn't even like at least start him there, um, because I think that was the league for him. But, but yeah, he, he, he was fine this season. Like, look, as an 18 year old kid, if you're fine in the NHL, you're, 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 like, like it's okay. Like Cole Sillinger as a rookie was fine as well. Like, like I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people are passing judgment very early on 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 Slavkovsky and they're discounting him as a valuable piece of this organization, which I think is is quite reactionary and not overly rational. But yeah, like 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 Slavkovsky is is really good. But but yeah, to, to go back to to Crystal, like if the Habs can nab him uh, anywhere anywhere beyond seven would be sick. But but like where he's going to realistically go like if the Habs, like if the, if the Panthers end up making the playoffs and they pick like 20 and that pick is like 20th overall, but the Habs choose Andrew Crystal with that pick, like hell yeah, that, that to me is like equivalent to like the fourth overall pick in the draft. So it's like, cool. <laughs> that, that, that is, that is amazing. But so would you say that Crystal is your kind of your Frank Nazer or your Lane Hudson, maybe not Lane Hudson. Cause he's not going to fall that low but where what would you equate him to in uh in this draft in terms of like personal like that's my boy i don't i don't think it would be <laughs> crystal um probably luca pinelli is my is my my boy in this draft class he's he's a forward for the ottawa 67s uh, and i've watched like more than 30 games live of him and i just adore this player and i hate the way he's been used by the, you by love Ottawa. those undersized guys, hey? Oh hell yeah, he's five nine, one sixty five. He's, he's he's a small boy, but he's fun. I I, I like him a lot. I, I have him ranked sixteenth. Uh, the consensus is uh, closer to fifty or somewhere in there. So so he he'd be one of those guys. Um, another one I like a ton is Jaden Perron. Um, I have him ranked seventh overall. Uh, Bob McKenzie has him at fifty. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, that, that 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 that's one where I'm like, uh, yeah, because with him it's also the size debate of oh he's five nine one sixty three he's too small and it's like that's like he's bigger than Zach Benson um, and Zach Benson's good at hockey I don't know uh, Jane Perron like is pure skill pure tenacity pure intelligence like 
also one of the best playmakers in the entire draft class. I, I love that guy. Um, but yeah, like, like, like th- there's a ton of players here where I, I'm, I'm higher on than, than NHL scouts, but like Andrew Crystal, again, is also on most like top six boards in public scouting. So it's like, I love, love, love the way he plays. I'm also not exactly outspoken on, on how much I like him. Like we ranked him six overall for Dauber as well. And, and, and that was also like not too long of a conversation. So uh, it's not like I'm, I'm higher on him relative to, to most public scouts. You're not championing him the way you were with Lane Hudson last year. <laughs> or, or, or even with Frank Nazer, right? Like even, even last year with the Dabo rankings with, with Nazer, I was like banging the table for him at four. And I, by the way, I forgot to mention this. I blame you single-handedly for the portion <laughs> of Habs fans that think we traded uh, Frank Nazer for Kirby Doc. You know, every single time that comes up, <laughs> I quote tweet that thing, and I'm like, no, the Habs would have not have drafted him. They would have picked either LeCarrie Mackey or Noah Esland. Esland would have been a great pick, not as good a pick as Frank Mazur. Um, Yeah, so like, so no. Every time I see that, I'm like, no, they didn't. They would not have picked him. Like, come on. It is uh, seriously uh, one of the yeah. dumbest things to be outraged about. Of all the things we just talked about, slash we traded away a pick. We traded away a pick that could have been this player, and it's like, well, uh, it probably wouldn't have been. Like maybe, like I'm, I'm sure that there's like a 15 percent chance they would have picked Nazer, but like, are we gonna cry about that? Like, look, Kirby Doc is amazing. I love Kirby Doc. He's he's awesome. Like I, I, I during the summertime, there's so many people being like, oh, Kirby Doc's bad at hockey. Look at his point production. And it got to the point where I put out my first ever video analysis thread on the on him because I was like, guys, he, this guy's good at hockey. Come on, look at him. He's awesome. And then and then now everyone's like, oh yeah, is he better than Nick Suzuki? Where it's like, okay. <laughs> I, look, honestly, look, I think there, there, there's a conversation to be had about upside um between those two guys. But like it's like, can we just appreciate both of them and be happy that we have both players rather than be like, one guy has to be better than the other immediately. And it's like, guys, we're in a rebuild. It doesn't matter yet. Like, come on. Both are going to be really good. Like, like let's not worry about it. But, it's but crazy. yeah. Yeah. The yeah. debate to go on. It is. And yes, I, I I'm going to stick to that. You, you hyped up Nazer for Habs Twitter so much. And then I hyped up Kirby Doc as well. I hyped up both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I really did. <laughs> You you've caused the so much so many of my debates lately have been on you know slow down Nick Suzuki's still a good hockey player no we didn't trade Frank Nazer and it's all because of you but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe you can spark uh, some more discourse here um, Leo Carlson I've I don't know why I've seen a lot of like hate recently I think he's almost kind of getting forgotten. And I just want to mm-hmm. know, this is the, I, I got to be honest, this is the player I know least about. Okay. Um, Swedish hockey, impossible for me to find. Don't, can't even find a lot of highlights on him. And I honestly, I hate dredging a player's potential on highlight videos because yeah, it's literally just his best plays. And I know when I was, when I was, um you know, a player making highlight packages for, um, colleges i'm not sending my mistakes right no obviously in order to make the player look as good as possible so i've i've seen craig button talk about this guy like he's the next great power forward in the nhl i've Mm -hmm. seen other people say you know they just don't see it 
what what's kind of your opinion on uh, Leo Carlson here? Because I see that you have him ranked fourth, which I've seen, but I've I've seen him as high as two above Adam Fantilli. Yeah, like to me, Carlson is the guy you pick if you really want a Fantilli and you miss out on him. Like he's also really, really, really good. Uh, I, I I like him a ton. I also have a video analysis thread on him out that I posted on Christmas Day. Uh, so if you're interested, that is about to... all the scouting I've had on him. Was okay, that yeah. Analysis? yeah, he's he's really good. Um, he, yeah, I. He's a really fun one also because he hasn't played center all year, but he projects as a center to me also because uh, there's no way in hell a team will draft him and not try to develop him down the middle. Uh, but he, he is a, a tremendous playmaker. He's one of the better playmakers in the entire draft class, which one of my favorite combinations is power forward with playmaking. I just love that kind of the same combination as Slavkovsky, but Carlson's better uh by a decent amount in my view um what he's doing in the shl is so impressive like yeah the, the point production slowed down a little bit uh from the beginning of the, of the season which was just like absurd and unsustain- unsustainable but uh he as the shl in my opinion is probably the second or third best league in the world like I, I think I think it's a bit better than the KHL, and I think it's like AHL and SHL are are fighting out for the second best league in the entire world. So what he's doing there of not not just like playing good hockey, but he's been playing like over ten minutes a night the entire season. Some games over fifteen minutes, and typically with draft eligibles, they might play like a few games in the SHL and play like seven minutes or something, but. Carlson is a really important piece of, of his team and he's put up five goals and 18 points in 34 games. Like that is nothing to scoff, scoff at in such a strong league. And I league too, right? It is, it is also a lower scoring league and it's, it's a very sound defensively. Like the, the defensive structures are really, really like compact and it's nothing like the Finnish Liga, which is wide open defensively as a whole, but, uh, but no, the SHL is really strong defensively and, He's a really smart offensive player. He takes great like like lanes and and routes to to lose pucks and uh his physical game I love because he's not the guy that's going to like just like absolutely eviscerate a guy with an open ice hip check or anything but but he uses his physicality to make small advantages. So he can roll off of opponents with ease. He can make his way through an opening and just like kind of like shove a guy out out, out of the way without too much too much issue uh so that that's what i like to see with with more physical players is is using it for subtle advantages and rather than than chasing a flashy hit or or whatever uh using it to to to, to make hockey plays to to create legitimate advantages in the game and and yeah he's a ton of fun he he does need to work on his shot a bit he needs to shoot more first of all and he has to work on his shooting mechanics because he lacks quite a bit of power on his shot which is not what you'd expect from a six foot three power forward um but but yeah he has to work on that but he just looks like a professional player he has so many pro habits off puck in the offensive zone specifically the defensive game is a bit inconsistent uh, as a whole. He needs to work on that quite a bit in order to project as a like a positive impact defensive player. 
but I think he'll get there mainly because I think NHL teams are going to try or whoever drafts him is going to try to, to make him this two way center power forward playmaker. Uh, and yeah, I could, I could see him turning out like a guy like, I don't know, Andre Kopitar in, in that range of, of like was, NHL as you were impact. describing him, I was thinking he sounds like Andre Kopitar, which is also the comparable I made with Shane Wright last year. And now I'm thinking it's like, oh, but I don't think Shane Wright and Leo Carlson are overly similar. So, yeah, I, I I probably still say Kopitar is more similar to Carlson than he is to Wright. But I think that's mainly because Wright was such a weird. Right. Shane Wright was like unlike any other player. So uh, <laughs> I it was tough to find like an NHL comp with him. But with Carlson, I think Andre, Andre Kopitar makes a ton of sense, maybe with better playmaking and worse goal scoring. I think that would be my, my little adjustment to that. But that, that that's kind of what I think an NHL team will want to make out of him. He's nowhere near that level defensively yet, right? That that's the that that's the big asterisk there, where it's like I think teams will want to create Andre Kopitar here. I don't know if, if it'll be successful necessarily, but because he's so intelligent off the puck, I think he can improve defensively a ton. Uh, as of right now, he's below average defensively for sure, uh, but with his but his his offensive intelligence is so high where it's like okay because he can understand defensive structures when he's attacking them i'm pretty sure he's going to be able to figure out how to play his part in defensive structures to be a positive impact so that that's just a thing that'll take some time but yeah he's he's a ton of fun uh has has a lot of skill as well really great handling ability um so he's definitely a guy with a very very high floor uh, I don't think his ceiling is quite as high as the other guys I have in that tier, with uh, especially Crystal and Mishkov, uh, and probably even Benson. But, but yeah, like any of those four guys, you could pick, and I'd be very, very happy. But uh, Carlson's probably going to be the first guy; of those guys that, that gets picked. I think he's the only player that has a chance of going over Fantilli. Um, I still think Fantilli's going to go second, especially because he's North American and. European players as a whole are always devalued at the, at the draft, but uh, yeah, I think I think Carlson um, is is very very good and is the overwhelmingly likely third overall pick in this draft. Okay, yeah. See, I, I love that you mentioned that because while I've been, you know, we're getting later in the season. We spoke previously. I don't think the Habs are realistically going to finish with the first overall pick. I think we're closer in that five to six range. So you yeah. do you think realistically is Leo Carlson a player that we have a chance at, or do you think he'll absolutely be gone? Um, I, I think the issue is is here because like even like, like look if the Habs win the lottery they're gonna pick first or second. Uh, if they don't win the lottery they're gonna pick whoever they fall right. Yeah, and I don't think they're gonna be bad enough to to get the third overall pick specific. I think it's way more likely they end up with one or two than, than, than with three. So Carlson's not a guy that I think will be a hab uh, just based on the likelihood of where the habs will pick. Uh, I think the only way that could happen is if like the, the Florida pick is like, has like the 13th best odds and then rises and then wins the lottery and goes up by 10 spots. And then that's the third overall pick. I think that that's the only way that the Habs pick third overall rather than like them being the third worst in the entire league and then getting that, that pick. But uh, yeah, I think, I, I think he's probably not going to be a Hab. 
I'd love for him to be a hab. I think he'd be he'd be a great hab. Uh, he'd be the best center in the Habs organization. Like he'd be better than than Doc and Suzuki. Um, but yeah, I I I I think there I think there's a much better chance the Habs end up with a guy like Benson or Crystal or Mitchkov uh, than than with Carlson. Okay, yeah. And before we you know take our little break for the ad read here of the. You know, we had Will Smith on here too, but based on your ranking and, you know, the way you've talked about these other guys, I'm not going to include him in this discussion. So between Carlson, Benson, Crystal, and Mishkov, as a Habs fan and as a scout, you know, maybe mixed with play, play style, ceiling, who do you think it would like, if the Habs pick this guy would fit in the best? Who is the guy that really moves the needle for the Habs rebuild? Oh, that's tough. I think on uh, <laughs> uh the the fit with Benson, Mitchkov, and and Crystal is all like all those fits are perfect to me. Like if you draft Crystal, you have your first line playmaker that's gonna feed Cole Caulfield Pox for 20 years. Uh if you draft Zach Benson, you get a dominant two-way forward who thinks the game better than almost any player in this entire draft class, uh, who needs to improve his skating a bit, but can play either the wing or center, both extremely effectively. And it gives you so much flexibility. So it's like, oh, if if it's like, oh, well, we're going to have a log jam at center. And we're going to have to have play like Kirby Doc in the third line. It's like, no, you put Benson on the wing. Then, then you have Suzuki and Doc as your centers. And Benson is going to drive tremendous defensive metrics uh, can be used on the PK, the power play everywhere is like, there's a reason I haven't third overall. I, I love Zach Benson. He's incredible. Uh, I love this kid. Uh, he's a scout's dream. Uh, he does everything so intelligently. He's so calculated. He has that skill level. He has the pace. Uh, the He's awesome. I, I, I love Zach Benson. I think he'd be a great fit also in terms of like, <laughs> What I'd love to see is for Marty St. Louis system to become even more fluid where it's like, okay, we're going to put out this, this top line or top defensive pairing, but players aren't going to stick to their position. They're going to just fluidly move around. So let's say you put out Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, and Zach Benson. And they start out with like Suzuki at center and then like Gooley on the left D and Harris on the right D. But by the end of the shift, you have like Benson playing center, uh, Cole Cotham moves over to the left wing, Suzuki's playing right wing, and then the defensemen switch spots as well. Like just having that like positional fluidity in the offensive zone, I think would be so much fun to see. And Benson would be a, the, the best fit in terms of that like fluid movement uh, because he thinks the game better than any player in the Habs organization by a fair margin. Uh, like I think he has a higher hockey IQ than either Cole Caulfield or Nick Suzuki or Kirby Doc. So, um, and that, that, that's saying something because that, that those are all strengths for those three players that, and they're elite. So I, I think that'd be a great fit. Or you just get Matt Bay Mitchkov and you're like, okay, we have a right shot with one of the best shots in the league. Let's just get a left shot with one of the best shots in the league. And then you have Cole Caulfield and Matt Bay Mitchkov who could play on the same line at five on five, but also on the power play on different flanks. And it's like, oh yeah, you're set in the power play for the next 15 years because you have two of the five best shooters in the entire league on your top power play unit. So any of those guys, I think would be incredible fits uh, with the Habs specifically. So if I, if I had to split hairs, I think Mitch would be the funniest one just because you have that like ridiculous shooting skill. 
but any of the three would be perfect fits in my view. Well, and see, while that made, was sorry, I gave you a difficult question and you know that it makes it tough to answer. I think if anything, that is great outlook for the Habs because the odds that we land one, at least one of those guys, I think are, are decent. They're decent odds, right? The Habs are not good, even though they're kicking the Oilers ass right now as we speak, but <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's great to hear. You know, it's exciting as a Habs fan, especially, you know, with, you know, the way things have gone the last two years to know that, you know, there is something good coming. Um, there's some hope on the horizon. So that's great to hear. And just right before we hit break, just because I want to touch on it and I'll forget if we don't. I love that you mentioned the fluid system because did you watch uh, the game last night that the Habs played or yesterday afternoon? I, I'm, I, I watched half of it. Uh, so... Yeah, there was one shift where the Habs were in the zone near the end of the game for like two minutes. They were pressing and Jordan Harris player. I've noticed tries this and his parent player you named went behind the net, pinched, got the puck behind the net, made a play and stayed it forward. And I love yeah. I love seeing that some of our players are capable of that because we've been stuck with guys like David Savard, Edmondson, Sherrod, <laughs> who are just, you know, even. Marty St. Louis said it post game and they asked about Savard playing two minutes in overtime. And he said, well, it's okay. Cause he doesn't move around very much. And, and, and even, even today, uh, like in, in the game currently going on, Jordan Harris scored a goal and it was from the goal line. Like, yeah. like he, he pinched up and then he shot from the goal line. It was no angle. Uh, and it was from, from the far side of the circle and he scored from it. Like, cause he activated and and uh, he activated first, and then he decided to stay there before he got the puck back. So Jordan Harris is one of my favorites just because he he is so intelligent. He does everything so well. Um, I, I I love that contract as well. Like, I think that like the two year deal is a smart one. Um, yeah, I, I I just love the way he plays the game. Yeah, absolutely. And we're uh, going to get uh, to a little bit of talk about that. But before we do that, uh, we have an ad read. So we're going to take that away here. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Y'all remember to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. This time of the year, everyone's talking about big making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time pretty unrealistic. I've actually found that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank, the bank to make a big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change if it's something you use every day, like my Raycons. 
Raycons is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Whether you're looking for a new pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or speaker with a large battery that'll last all night at your next party, Raycons got you covered. And yep, Raycons started half the price of other premium audio brands, so you don't even have to choose between products. You can get one of each or a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. Um, I use mine at work every single day. My buddies actually got the uh, speaker had that going for the Super Bowl uh, the other day also. But um, even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now, pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. Some of my favorite things about my Raycons, uh, I'm always mentioning it, is the crystal clear, crystal clear call quality. Um, I'm dealing with Mardi Gras down here right now. And one of the number one things I need to be able to do uh, with my job is hear and call customers. We're out and about. We're on Bourbon Street. We're on Frenchman. We're uptown. We're downtown. It's loud. It's noisy. There's people screaming. They're drunk. I need to be able to hear what's going on on the other side of the phone. And I need them to understand me as well. Um, another thing, the eight hours of earbud play is massive. I do highly recommend these. Basically, I think the number one things they have is is how long the earbuds last. Um, you could be like myself, 30-minute lunch break, an hour if you're something special. Throw those things down, you know. Um, I'll listen to my phone without them, let them charge up in the car, and then boom, I have an ex more than eight hours. I mean, I could probably squeeze about 14 hours out of them. Um, and then finally, I'm wearing them at all times. The custom gel tips uh, that are soft, they're not they are not going to irritate your ears when you take them out after a long day. It's not going to feel like they've been stretching your earlobe and it's sore. None of that. That's the best part about it. So anyway, ready to buy something small with a big impact? Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off buyraycon.com slash THPN. All right. And uh, we're back. Thank you guys. Um, sorry, Sebastian, just want to make sure uh, we, how much we're good for time. Are you okay? Like, do we have some time to talk I, about? I have a ton of time today, so we, we can go as long as you guys want. Okay, perfect. So I uh, kind of want to talk about some Habs prospects, but you know, it's, it's kind of, when we talk about Habs prospects, you know, like the athletic put out their under 23 list and didn't include, any NHL players. So I think the Habs fell to like 11 and a lot of people were upset. I think it's difficult when you're talking about Habs prospects because so many of our guys are on the team, like Slaff, you know, you've got all our young defensemen. And we were just talking about Jordan Harris before he we went to break. Um, you know, we have three great young blue liners and I, I can kind of imagine who your favorite of the three is, but yes, you know, I, Jordan Harris, I'm assuming. Um, Ooh, uh, probably. Mm. Or you are a Ghoulie guy. I like Ghoulie a lot. Um, I, I like Blaine Hudson more than both. Um, but well, yeah, I meant I meant on the Habs. On, on the, the Habs, Habs right now. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely like that. Definitely, I think Jordan Harris and Caden Ghoulie have separated themselves from Arbor Jacki. Um, but and Justin Barron. Uh, but 
I think Jordan Harris is my favorite. I think Caden Gooley is better. Or, or, or yeah. sorry, projects as better. I think Jordan Harris is better now. I think Caden Gooley has the higher ceiling. I think he'll be higher up in the lineup at the end of the day. But I honestly do think that if you have a second pairing in, in the future of Caden Gooley and Jordan Harris, because Harris is very good on the right side, and Caden Gooley can also play the right, and they can switch off, like I was saying earlier, that would be a, an awesome second pairing. And I think Caden Gooley would be the number three and Jordan Harris number four. I think if if Jordan Harris is your number four or five defenseman, uh, you have a contending caliber blue line. Well, and yeah, and that's kind of what I want to, what I'm alluding to and what I want to get to. Um, you know, we have these, I forgot, I totally forgot about Baron too, which is, you know, just talks about how many young D we have. I think a lot of people are kind of unsure about where they project. And, you know, you talk about Gooley. I think Gooley is definitely a victim of this year just being thrown into yeah being David Savard's partner every night, which is <laughs> or Joel <sorry>. Edmondson. <laughs> yeah, who Edmondson? Like I know, I know. I think you were less high on him than I ever was, but the decline in play this season has yes, been I, I I quite liked I quite liked Edmondson in the past, like at least relative to other like very progressive hockey people. Um, I, I always had a, had a soft spot for him compared to to guys like Sherrod or Savard. I always thought that Edmondson was a clear tier above those guys, uh, but that is I not the case he was, this year. You know, in the past, in Corey and I talked about this often. Jeff Petrie, his game totally changed when Joel Edmondson was his partner, and then I I, I quite like Petrie with, with Kulak as well, but but yes. Edmondson was the only other partner that I thought was equally effective with Petrie as Kulak was. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I it's sad. It's sad to see his play decline too because of what he provides. You know, I've everything I've heard about him off ice, he organizes the rookie games and stuff. He, he sounds like a, like a lovely Love human being and a great leader. So, you know, I'm uh, he's one of those players. We're a little off topic here. I'm okay with Joel Edmondson being bad at being on the team as long as David Savard is off our roster next year. But <laughs> getting back to the point um, of, you know, with Caden Gooley and Harris. What what realistically do you think like they project as? You said second pairing defensemen, where yeah, that's what you kind of see. Because with Caden Gooley, sometimes I, I I gotta say most of the time I agree with you, but sometimes Gooley flashes something, and I'm like, yeah, could he be a two guy? I, I think I think there's a conversation to be had there. Like I know some Habs fans are like, oh, you know, a future number one defenseman, and that that's where I kind of take more issues. I I think there's a, there's there's a much longer conversation to be had between upside between number two and number three. I think that that's kind of where where he's going to fall. Um, I I feel more comfortable with number three mainly because yes, we've seen flashes of him weaponizing his skating ability in transition and and like executing some really impressive solo rushes. But as a whole, his transition game is still quite limited, and uh, his decision making under physical pressure has come a long, long way since he was drafted. Like that was his biggest um, weakness in his draft year and a D plus one uh, and has come a long way, but it still isn't a strength. And I think that that's one thing that that, that would hold him back from being a true first pairing guy uh, just because he would need his partner to bail him out in transition. And I think one of the reasons that we've seen a lot of metrics not like him this season is because he's been relied on to be, the transition force on his pairing because he's playing with guys like Edmondson and Savard when that's just not his strength. And also why I like his fit with Jordan Harris a ton because Harris excels in transition. He's so good under pressure. He's a great puck mover. And with Caden Gooley, 
it i think there are flashes of it if he can if he can like really reform that aspect of his game and make it a strength then i can really start talking about number two upside but until that happens i still have some doubts uh and offensively i've loved how much he's been activating this season um from the blue line and, and really like being a shooting threat because he is a very good shot especially when he gets into that medium range but yeah, I, I, I like Guli a lot. I think he, he is the second best defenseman in the Habs system behind Lane Hudson uh, in terms of upside. But uh, yeah, he, he's he's very, very good player. And and I think that that if you have Caden Guli on your second pairing moving forward, uh, you'll be pretty set in the blue line. Like the way I see it is the Habs are missing a true like first pairing two-way right shot defenseman. If they can... Or, or, or defenseman who can play on the right side doesn't have to be a right shot, but ideally, and I know Marty St. Louis wants that to be, he, he likes a defenseman playing on the strong side. But uh, I think if you have Lane Hudson and player X on your top pairing, uh, and then your second pairing is Gooley and, uh, and Harris, and then you have a third pairing of, uh, I don't know, um, Jaden Struble or Arbor Jack guy with Justin Barron, that to me is an interesting blue line um, moving forward. Uh, I, I don't think, I know some people are penciling in Logan Mayu as that two-way first pairing defenseman, which is not something I see. I think if he turns into an NHL caliber defenseman at all, that's a win for the Habs uh, yeah. from a hockey standpoint, um, maybe not a PR one, but yeah, like like my my use is still a player where it's like okay, yeah, like like look, his production this season is good. He his goal score for defenseman in the OHL is 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 very impressive. The actual point production, like he's, I believe he's still under a point a game. He, he might he might have just gone over that with a three point night. I just just looked at it recently. I think he's fifth in point per game at not point nine four or something for OHL. And and, and he's he's behind guys that were drafted in his own in his in his actual draft class in like the fourth round. Like like Jack Matier, who plays for the 67s, I believe is is above him uh in points per so. game. Yeah. And uh Jack Matier is a very, very, very flawed hockey player uh who I kind of struggle seeing as an NHL defenseman. Uh definitely not a player I would have brought to the World Juniors for Canada. I would have definitely gone with the guy like Denton Matejak ahead of him. But uh yeah, it's like it's like okay, yeah, the point production is fine, but you have to keep in mind this is a player who is being lauded as a as a a true offensive dynamo, and uh, he was a first round pick two drafts ago. Like, it shouldn't be impressive that he's at a point a game. It should be an indictment if he weren't. So, uh, yeah, I, I I still think his defensive game is a huge huge glaring issue. Um, the decision making under pressure is also not the best. He's a volume shooter rather than a creator in the offensive zone. So, I I think that that Mayu maybe has second pairing upside maybe uh as like a pure offense guy so it's like if you want him to be your guy compliment Caden Gooley and then you have Gooley being your pure defense guy and my you your pure offense I think that's the absolute ceiling for my you uh I've, yeah I've sort of taken to myself in describing my you is a, sort of a watered down Tony D'Angelo pure offense with yeah. terrible character issues and terrible defense. Yeah, and, I think that's. I think I think it's fair. I think the offense is going to be because, like, at, at least, at least, okay, like D'Angelo is just awful. Like, I I think he's he's just not <laughs> at all a good human being whatsoever. 
Oh, just a but, terrible, just awful person. But at least oh, I, hate, I hate saying this, but like at least his offense is like a separating skill. Like he he is one of the best pure offense defensemen in the NHL. Who still hurts his team when he's on the ice because he's so awful defensively. Uh, however, with Mayu, I don't think his actual offensive skill is going to be that level. Like, yes, he has good hands. He's a powerful shot, uh, which are enough to score goals in the OHL. But at the NHL level, you have to have a good enough understanding of, de- of defensive structures to properly exploit them. And I don't think he reads the game well enough to do that, which D'Angelo does. So I, I, I still don't quite buy that he's going to even be that level of offensive guy. So I think like calling him a watered down D'Angelo, maybe like I could, I could maybe see that. But again, we're talking about that as a ceiling. I think that there's a solid chance he becomes just a goal scoring defenseman in the AHL and it doesn't ever quite go beyond that. But yeah, I, I think like we, we, we've all talked about my U a ton and I'm kind of becoming a bit tired of it because like, Whenever people like criticize me, like, oh, you're being too biased on this player and stuff, I go back and watch my you more because I'm like, okay, I because I I, I think what, what he did was so so despicable. Uh I, I do feel feel like that that could cloud my judgment, but then I just go back and watch him play and I watch him back to back to with other defensemen, even like draft eligible defensemen, and I'm like, I still I still don't see an NHL player here and yeah, like I've watched a lot more of my youth than I than I I, I wanted to, um, but but yeah, I, I still don't quite see it with him. I think some of what you get uh, with him, and you know, re- even ignoring like right now, like let's throw they say he's made progress. What if you choose to believe that? That's fine, but I think a lot of Habs fans are almost overcompensating for the fact yeah. that they want the pick to be justified, right? And for sure. Maybe in an alternate world where he kept playing hockey and didn't miss that time, maybe it could have been. I don't know. But at at this point, I don't care. You know what I mean? It's kind of, this is who he is. Let's ignore all the personality traits. Let's just talk about him as a hockey player. This I don't think, Logan Mayu, I don't think is the savior. And I think it, it gets tiring talking about him because of all the other great defensive prospects we have. Exactly. We just talked about some really, really good players. And I think they deserve the limelight a lot more than he does. Um, especially a guy like Jordan Harris, who every time I hear an interview, I think that is like the nicest man I've ever right. I've like ever he's, seen. <laughs> he's he's he seems like an actual human being, and you contrast that with every other hockey interview where they're fairly robotic. And with, with Harris, he's so personable and so intelligent like one of the things like, like like his statement this week where seemingly unprompted in i believe it was a tva a tva interview he went out of his way to to indict uh provorov and rangers for uh refusing to partake in pride night and and i think to to to, to see a person like have that compassion with a community that has faced so much violence and 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 depression uh, while literally actively uh, like pointing out the organization and the person that 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 were that were doing harm, I think that that takes tremendous courage as well to do, especially as a fairly new face in the NHL. Like, I I I I love that he did that. Uh, that 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 really brought me joy. And um, yeah, I I I I I love Jordan Harris as a person, as a player. Um, He's, he's definitely one of my favorite people to have in the Habs organization. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, in a prior interview before that, he talked about the NHL being an old boys club. Like, For sure. Yeah. He absolutely gets he is, it. He is outspoken. Like he's, he's awesome. I, yeah. Jordan Harris. Like I, I'd love to just like, like have a chat with him at some point. Like I, I think he'd just be a great person to talk to. Um, but yeah, he's, he's great. Absolutely. Um, to kind of, I just want to, cause to give him the credit, um, I know there's people on both ends of the spectrum and I'm talking about Arbor Jack guy here, people who, yeah. Old school hockey fans, yeah, you're gonna love. Him. I, he, let's be honest. If you're a new age hockey fan, you still love Arbor Jack guy. I think yes, he's, a hard he's lovable. Hate. He's but lovable. Hell, yeah. What like? I'm kind of. I think a lot of people are either incredibly low and think, look, this is just a player that's he's fun, but he hurts the team. He takes too many penalties. Yada yada yada. And then you have people that they grew up watching hockey in the 1970s and they think that this is the next coming of like Bob Probert and he's going to like go out there and be amazing. What is kind of your view on Arbor Jack guy? Because I see in my opinion and like, feel free to like argue me, disagree. I see a, a number five on your third pair that if he can continue to show glimpses, may be able to provide a little bit of offense at times, fill in, on the second pair once someone's injured. That's what I see in Arbor Jack guy. Pretty similar for me. I, I'd, I'd say more number, number six. I think if you're on a, if you're a contending team, Arbor Jack guy is your fun, exciting, hilarious number six defenseman who does bring intangibles. And it's not intangibles isn't a word I love using when, when evaluating players, but it's just like I, Arbor Jack guy is clearly so beloved by his teammates. He's so lovable on the ice. He brings so much energy and with like bottom pairing or bottom line players, like when, when you don't quite have the skill to, to make the differences, like top of the line of players can, you have to find a way to provide legitimate value. And I think Arbor Jacki does do that. I think he's, he's a really fun player to have at the bottom end of your lineup. I think he, um, I, if we're thinking a guy that, that plays maybe like 13 to 15 minutes a night on plays on your second PK scores a decent amount of goals for third pairing defenseman because he does have a wicked shot though he scored a lot more goals this season than he should have like he's gotten a few lucky bounces but i think with his shot he could he could be a third pairing guy that that that, that consistently gets like those eight goals or something which you don't usually expect from a number six defenseman um but yeah to me he's he's a guy that 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 you have on your bottom pairing mainly um maybe maybe a number seven uh, if you're like, if your decor is like elite, but uh, mainly just very, very fun. I think to be like devil's advocate, I'd, I'd say I think one of the interesting, but heartbreaking aspects of it would be like, I think he might be overvalued in the NHL. And if you can get like a Romanov 2.0 trade with him, where you get like the equivalent of a first round pick for a limited, but exciting and fan favorite defenseman, you maybe could, uh, just because I think that his archetype of player is is really valuable in the league, uh, and and brings more value than it does in like purely on paper with metrics or or just on the ice, even even with the intangibles. I think as much as I love Arbor Jack, I if you can trade a guy who projects as a bottom pairing defenseman for a high second round pick or a first round pick, you you do it. Um, 
as heartbreaking as it would be for fans uh, and and for teammates. But I think I think if you can keep Arbor Jack as a bottom pairing guy who brings that energy and fun, I think that, that fun and excitement that, that has value too. Like for fans, uh, I think having that player that that everyone just adores who who also does insulates like like the smaller, less physical guys on the team who who will fight. I'm not I'm not a, a real proponent of fights in hockey, but uh, I think that having a player who can step up in need, maybe not as often as he has this season. I think he's fought a lot more than he should. I, I don't want him to entrench his reputation as a fighter because I think he brings more value when he's not in, in the box. But uh, yeah, I think I think he, he's a fun player to have on the Habs. No, absolutely. I uh, totally agree. I think too, like, say what you want. I know the league is going away from fighting. But it does pay to, you know, guys are going to think twice about, you know, whoever we draft this year, whether that be Carlson Benson, they're going to think twice about blowing him up in the middle of the ice. If Arbor Jack guys on the back end, right, they might pull up a little bit. They might not slash that player's hands in front of the net. And with Brendan Gallagher, whose hands are dust from that, we see those things do add up. So having that player is valuable. And like you said, too, even having him as maybe a future trade option, right? That's something too. If he continues to be exciting, continues to fight, maybe one day at a trade deadline, a GM says, I need this guy for my championship run. So I do think Arbor Jackai provides a lot of value. Um, but moving on to um to Lane Hudson, um, and we'll wrap up talking about D after that. But you were really, really, really high on him before we drafted him. You were high on yep. him after seeing what he's done. I don't like comparing anyone to Kale McCarr, but he has Kale McCarr numbers in the NCAA. He's actually exceeding them. He's doing better than Adam Fox did his rookie year. These are record-breaking paces and numbers he's going in the NCAA right now. Are you higher on him now than you were last year? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Beyond just the point production, because honestly, I always knew he'd be putting up a ton of points in the NCAA if he got ice time, which he really is uh, at, at BU, even though he's not getting first power play minutes. Um, but yeah, I think one thing to keep in mind is that BU is a very, very, very strong team. Like, like BU is just dominating Hockey East. So um, that, that, that is something to keep in mind, that he is on a, on a very, very talented roster. However, he's the best te- player on that team. So it's like, well, okay, he's his his teammates are benefiting more from playing with him than he is from playing with them. So I think I think Lane Hudson is entrenching himself as as an elite defensive prospect with tremendous offensive ceiling. I'd compare him more with a guy like Quinn Hughes than than with either McCarr or Fox, uh, just because I think McCarr and Fox are way better defensively than Lane Hudson ever will be. Um, whereas Quinn Hughes does have those. I don't know if deficiencies is the word, but but he he, he it, his value isn't in the defensive zone. I think the same can be said with Lane Hudson, where I think he can get to a point of treading water defensively, even against like top competition. But he's never going to be the defensive stalwart of his pairing. Whereas both Adam Fox and Kale McCarr are defensively dominant. Uh, whereas with Lane Hudson, I think 
you have your pure offense. And I still think he projects as a number two defenseman uh, because I think you, you want to have maybe number one, maybe, but I think ideally you, you pair him with, with the player who can also contribute in transition, also activate in the offensive zone, but brings that defensive value, uh, especially in transition defense, which Lane Hudson needs to work on quite a bit. But yeah, I, I, I still love Lane Hudson. He, he brings me such joy um, uh, to watch because it's the pure skill, the intelligence, the playmaking, the creativity, all those things are second to none in, in the Habs organization in terms of the prospect pool. Uh, and even in terms of all defensive prospects that the Habs have, uh, whether it be in the NHL or otherwise, I think Lane Hudson's really separated himself from the pack in terms of, of excitement, but also just how good I think he's going to be. Uh, so yeah, it, it is kind of indicating that I, I had him 11th overall and he's, and he's doing this where it's like, well, maybe I should have trusted my gut and put him in the top 10, which I didn't quite have the guts to do. Uh, because no one else had him in the top 15 or top 17. I think the highest other public scout I saw on him was Scott Wheeler, who had him like 18th or 19th overall. And then I was up there at 11th, which is uh, quite a bit higher uh, than 18th. And uh, I was kind of alone up there. But but yeah, he, he, Lane Hudson's making me look pretty smart right now, probably smarter than I am. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm appreciative <laughs> of that. But, but no, like, like Hudson's doing everything I could have hoped for in the NCAA and even more like even like last season, he relished physical pressure as, as I was talking about beforehand to exploit it. But this season it's, it's gotten to another caliber where yes, he's relishing it, but he's pinpoint like accurately like dissecting it and exploiting it. And to a degree that he wasn't doing last season, his playmaking, his game has come another level since last season. Um, he's also unlocked a, a way better goal scoring game, which you can just see from the, from the pure goal tally uh, in the NCAA for Lane Hudson. Uh, but he's stepping up in the offensive zone, whereas last season he was always defaulting to, to trying to find a pass, whereas now in true dual threat, and, and he will drift up as a shooting threat far more regularly than was last season, which I think adds a really important layer to his offensive game because it makes him far less predictable on the puck and also adds significant uh, threat off the puck. Uh, and and yeah, Lane Hudson is, is a tremendous prospect who... Uh, I I really do think is going to be a first pairing guy for the Habs moving forward. Um, and I think he could, I, I do hope the Habs don't rush him. Uh, I think that that would be a mistake. I think keeping him in the NCAA for at least one more season would be paramount. I think um, there's also no reason to rush him into the dumpster fire that, that the Habs are right now. Like, I don't see why, like, why would you need Lane Hudson next season? Like, they're not going to be good next year. Why, why do you need him that quick? Like, let him develop. Uh, and I think the Habs will do that. I don't think they are going to rush Lane Hudson, especially because he is an undersized player. Though he is now up to five foot ten, uh, and he's looking beefy compared to last year, which is great to see. But but uh, yeah, I think you give him one more season in the, in the NCAA, and then I think he'll be ready for top four NHL minutes the year after. And uh, I think if the Habs can add that 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 right shot defenseman to complement him, which I don't think will be available in this, this draft class. Um, and I'm a little bit concerned about that because I think the one player that fits that, that mold from an NHL GM perspective, not from my per personal perspective is David Reinbacher, who I have a gut feeling is going to go top seven in the draft. And I have him ranked 30th overall. I like him. 
I was one of the, it's so funny. David Reinbacher was almost an unknown in the scouting sphere up until like November. All right. Uh, sorry, guys. We had a little bit of a kind of hiccup there, but we're back. You were talking about David Reinbacher. I was. So, so Reinbacher is a guy that I, I, I have this gut feeling is going to go in, in the top 10, maybe even top seven, uh, because he is a right shot defenseman. He's pretty big. He had a great world juniors for an awful Austrian team. Uh, and, and as I was saying, like, he's a funny case study, but just because he came out of nowhere and I was at least at Dauber, I was one of the two first people to have watched him and at our draft meeting in early December. So before the world juniors, before even like many of our scouts had watched Reidenbacher play, uh, I was like, yeah, this guy should be at the end of our first round. And, um, my opinion on him has not changed. So while well, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is a guy who should be a late first round guy. And everyone was like, wait, who is this guy? Is he actually this good? And then now uh, the view is like, I still have my late first round. And everyone's like, oh, why are you still low on him? I'm like, I changed. Like, I, I see him as the same player. Uh, he uh, he projects to me as a solid second pairing defenseman, uh, like number four specifically, uh, which I think is a, is a key difference. But uh, he, he he's good in his own zone, but he has... Like his handling skill isn't great. He's a he's a great skater, uh, but his handling skill is limited. Uh, he's a really locked, awkward top hand that kind of like rises almost above his shoulder. Like it's really awkward uh, how he handles the puck sometimes. But uh, yeah, and then offensively, he's a good shot, good shooting habits, um, but doesn't have high end playmaking skill. He's a good distributor. Uh, I, I could see him as, as a future second power play guy. Uh, but most of his value, his value is found in the defensive zone. Uh, but one of the issues is also like under heavy physical pressure, he can make poor decisions with the puck. So I see him a bit limited in, in that sense, but I think it's a pretty safe bet to play in the NHL. But because he is, at least by consensus, the best right, uh, one of the two best right shot defensemen in the draft, along with Axel Sandy Pelico, who I think is way better and way more interesting and reminds me quite a bit of Lane Hudson. Uh, so if the Habs want a pure offense for a pairing, uh, draft Sandy Pelica, and then you put him with Lane Hudson, and you create chaos. Uh, it might not, not be the best pairing in terms of like how good it would be uh, in terms of the actual on ice results, but it would be the most entertaining possible pairing. So I'd love it. Um, but yeah, so Ryan Bucker's a guy I, I kind of fear the Habs are going to pick. Like like him and Dvorsky are the two guys that I feel kind of the Habs will draft picks at like sixth or seventh overall where i'd be a bit afraid um i think Dvorsky is another guy who is a good two-way center uh but is a middle six center a guy i, I don't see any top, top line sort of fallen there. too right from yeah he, he's fallen uh he hasn't really fallen from where i've had him personally this season i didn't watch too much of him last year so i didn't have like the preconceived ideas that other people did um but He's very physically mature, which is, I think, one of the reasons that people were so high on last year, where it's like, oh, this guy like looks like a pro already at the age of 16. Um, but I think it also limits his runway a little bit just because he he, he is already very physically developed. And he's, he's very good defensively. He has the wicked shot, but there's a lack of playmaking skill. He isn't overly dynamic, uh, kind of a one-speed, a single-speed attacker uh, in transition. So I think he's a bit limited. I think he's going to be a really solid middle six center, but that's just not a guy I pick in the top 10 or top 15 or top 20 in this draft class with the amount of upside that that's available. 
And it's kind of the same thing with Brian Bacher, but I think the upside's a little bit lower uh, and as a defenseman, obviously, but he is a bigger right shot defenseman and the Habs need that in their system, like desperately. And there's so I'm a bit afraid because like, it would be a pick of drafting for need and it would be not a very good pick in my, in my view, at least, uh, at, at least at, like, at that slot. Um, I think Ryan Barker is going to go way higher than I'm going to feel comfortable picking him. But if the Hats were to pick him in that like 20 to 35 range where he's not going to be available, but theoretically, if they were to pick him there, that'd be fine. Uh, but it's more just if you're going to pass on a guy like Crystal or Benson or even a guy like, like Jane Perron or Sandy Palica to draft Ryan Bacher, I have a lot of questions after that because it would be drafting for need and for size. And that's just not at all my philosophy when it comes to drafting and yeah uh that, that is kind of my, my fear with, with the draft with the halves but who knows maybe, maybe the flyers are gonna are gonna clutch up and and pick right for fifth overall and they, they just like they did with cutter goate last year uh but yeah <laughs> it's, it's gonna be an interesting draft for sure uh and i'm very curious i think this draft is really going to indicate the have drafting philosophy more like like to me because Last draft was like, okay, Sapkowski, yes, you're picking the big guy, but it's also it also was a swing on upside in a sense uh, and on international domination. And with Reinbacher, there is also that, I guess, smidgen of international domination where he was very, very good at the World Juniors. Like, he was excellent, but there is just that upside limitation, which was not there with Sapkowski. So if they pick him, that kind of answers a lot of questions I had about the drafting philosophy last season. Um, but... Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting draft. I'm looking forward to see what the Habs are going to do. Uh, I'm going to be at the draft as well, so I'm going to see it all live. Um, so that, that that's going to be a fun experience for sure. So going going to Nashville for five days uh, in in June, which will that's be a lot awesome. of fun. Um, but oh, it's going to be a ton of fun. My only concern is I'm I'm going with my with my buddy Aaron Idovish, who is a massive massive country music fan, and I'm not. Uh, and we're going to the country music capital of the world. And uh, yeah, I I. I have I'm gonna have some 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 worries about the ox uh, on that trip, but uh, but no, it's gonna be a lot of fun for sure. And uh, seeing seeing the Habs draft picks live is gonna be a ton of fun for sure. No, absolutely. I hope you know maybe I'll see on Twitter a live reaction to uh, the Habs drafting David Ryan back. Maybe overall. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's gonna be a wide variety, a, a wide range of possible reactions to that pick. Like it was Ryan Bacher, that's one thing. If the Habs get like i don't know mitchkov at like six or seventh overall that'll be a whole different reaction so uh yeah we'll, we'll definitely see how that goes well thank you so much for coming on man whenever you come on i feel like we could just talk and talk and talk forever appreciate your knowledge it's a, it's a ton of fun coming on like i actually enjoy it so i definitely will have to come on another at least one or two times uh before the draft no, absolutely. We look forward to it. If we had, if you know, if we didn't have the technical issues today, I, uh, I do have <laughs> some more questions for you. So I've got some stuff loaded. Uh, hopefully we can get Perfect. back to talking to you soon. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks so much for having me again. listening to the hockey podcast network new shows every day find us at the hockey podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from